either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, as more and more movie theaters around the country are opening up, getting ready to open up, almost ready to open up, we still got a lot coming out for streaming this week and definitely some good stuff to talk about. Glad you're here to talk about it with us. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start on Netflix with the latest from Spike Lee. With the latest from Spike Lee, four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. It's the five bloods. Black GI, is it fair? To serve more than the white Americans that sent you here. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Well, you know, as... Many years, as Spike Lee has been at this, we saw him hit an incredible high of his last film, Black Klansman. And now with this, you've got to say he's he's doing his best work of his career right now. This is another incredible achievement. It really is. And, you know, and it's not as if he hasn't impressed throughout oh, his career. He absolutely has. has. Yeah. But it is it is what I, what I love about this, as well as a Black Klansman, I think that you can see him take certain styles that he's kind of experimented with over his career and weave them together, especially in Black Landsman. But in this one as well, it's a much bigger canvas than Black Landsman was. It's it's a it's a bit of an epic, really, and it is about two and a half hours long. The plot itself, which is on the surface kind of a heist film, is the least probably important thing about mm-hmm. it. It's really the only place where you can find flaws. There are a couple of convenient turns. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of obvious moves. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But outside of that, I don't see you finding a lot to complain about in this movie. Well, look back, like you just mentioned, look back on his career, and you see so many movies that are concerned with taking apart history, the whitewashing of history, yeah. not just in history books, but in the movies. Yes. Uh, and how he is so, especially as his career has gone on. He's gotten so great at making history relevant to now. Oh, my God. I mean, he did it to just stupefying effect in Black Klansman. Oh, yeah. And you you see some movies, I'm not talking about his, but you'll see some movies where it, it tackles a piece of history, and you think, boy, if you could just tie that together, yeah. bring it home, right. bring it to now. And he is so good at that. And I think he's only gotten better. And and you look over the, the past movie, Black Klansman, and this one, and it's he does it expertly yeah he does expertly yeah he does he braids so many themes into this film and he does it just with such mastery you know i want to talk about the performances because they were they are astounding but you mentioned movies i think several of my favorite moments in this film about vietnam vets going back to vietnam are when they specifically mention other such right. films. I mean, there's a big there's a big Apocalypse Now poster hanging in a disco and they, they, they reference Apocalypse Now, they reference Platoon, but they actually discuss Rambo and all of those movies <laughs> like where, yeah. where you know Vietnam veterans go back to Vietnam to win the war and it was such a it right. was such an on point and funny conversation that they were having so he yeah you're right he does such a great job of just commenting so many times but i think for me the main theme 
which they use by in, incorporating the character of, of Hanoi Hannah, mm-hmm. is the idea, and also Delroy Lindo's character, Paul, wears a, a MAGA hat the whole time. Right. Is this notion of how people in power tell you what you want to hear to get you to do what they want you to do. Yeah, and we don't want to give away too much, but Delroy Lindo's character is such a great character. It's so well written. The complexities within his character and so well fleshed out by Delroy Lindo, who's been great for decades, and it's it's so great to see him get such a part. I know. Well, I mean, he's always great, as you said, and it, but he's almost always, he's a character actor, mm-hmm. he's almost always a supporting performer, and, you know, he brings something to every role. He brings, he's unlike anybody else, and one of the things that he's always done, that he does so beautifully here, is that no matter what, what character he is, whether he's this compassionate character or a menacing character, no matter what he is, there's this vulnerability that he carries with him that brings so much depth to every character. And it is on display here because this is a complicated human being, this man. And it's an amazing piece of writing to have developed this character the way that Spike Lee and his whole team of writers did. But, oh my God, Delroy Lindo is just (laughs) amazing. Yeah, he's part of a great ensemble. It's Clark Peters, who's been in a a few Spike Lee films, Uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Norm Lewis, and also... Chadwick Boseman, who yeah. is is getting obviously he's he's big right now, and he sort of looms large over the entire proceedings while not being there in flesh and blood because he is the fallen comrade yeah. that they're going back to try to. That's the guise of going back to Vietnam, how they get clearance to go in there to find the Storm and Norman's yeah. remains. It's such a fascinating plot device. Uh, the way that Spike Lee uses that character because. Rather than de-aging his actors that around was so him, interesting. it is, or recasting them with younger right. men, it's because I think there's so much about this film is about the fact that you you never really leave. They never really left. I thought it so worked when, so well. Oh my God, it was beautiful. So when they flash back in their heads to, so that the film is telling you what is it that happened with Storm and Norman? Mm-hmm. What was it like? What was he like? How did this escapade go down back in the 60s? It's the same seventy-ish year old cast, yes, yes. except for, of course, Chadwick Boseman. And it is—it's a—it's—it's it's such a beautiful storytelling moment where, where it basically, it is just saying this is how it's lived in their memories, and they've never really left. Because here. here's the thing: even if, even if he had at his disposal the greatest de-aging effects we've ever seen, it's still better to do it this way. Oh, for yes. For just the reason you just yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. He—I mean, it just speaks volumes as to what it is he's trying to say mm-hmm. in the first place, and of yeah. course, also. The whole cast is so good. And the other young man in the film, Jonathan Majors, he plays Delroy Lindo's character's son, David. Who, by the way, if you haven't seen Last Black Man in San Francisco, see it. Oh, please see it. See it. it. See it. It's so great. And he's great. But yes. And he wrote and directed and stars. Yes. In La- it's just a phenomenal film. Mm-hmm. And but it's funny to me that that he's cast to play Delroy Lindo's son, because that's something else I've noticed about about his performances is that he just embodies this sort of vulnerability no matter how strong like no matter how yeah. yeah it's i mean it's and he's and in and in this film it just breaks your heart yeah it's such and it, the other thing is we've said this before about other actors when you are because he they have some very heated scenes just between the two of them and when you are up against somebody uh, with the the talent the magnitude of delroy lindo's you could either crumble or you could you could meet it and he meets it it's the the scenes between the two of them are some of the most powerful that that you'll see at, certainly this year yeah amen so if you haven't figured it out it's spike lee at the top 
of his game. If you think he was going to let down after Black Klansman, no. Uh, loved it. Cannot recommend it enough. It's on Netflix now, and it's Defive Bloods. See it. Next up is the story of Scott. He's got a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died. He spends his days smoking weed, dreaming of being a tattoo artist, until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first steps forward in life. It's the king of Staten Island. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Don't be. It's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> You can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're gonna have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. I just feel like everybody's always disappointed in me and I never live up to anybody's expectations. Hey, thanks for listening to all this. You're one of the few people who treat me, you know, like a person. You're welcome. So this is the latest from Judd Apatow. It's another one where he works with a pretty well-known comic to kind of just fictionalize their own story. Yeah, Pete Davidson gets the writing credit here, and Pete Davidson from, I guess, most well-known from Saturday Night Live. Sure. And then he had the thing where he was dating um, Ariana Grande and all kinds of people. And I'll be honest, I've never found him that funny. Uh, but this this movie goes really a long way toward making him endearing, even though the character at first is not one that you like. There's so much autobiographical about the character that he plays of Scott. He's from Staten Island. Uh, he has Crohn's disease, as does Pete Davidson. Mm. And he had a firefighter fa father pass away. If you didn't know, Pete Davidson's dad was a firefighter in New York who died in action on 9-11. Wow. Which, yeah. Which is amazing. So, and he obviously, as a young boy, when that happened, had some some issues with that, as sure. you would. Yeah. And that comes into play here in the in the story. And it sounds very dramatic, and it is very dramatic. But you know what? It's also very funny. Mm. I laughed out loud numerous times. And there's also some very heartfelt moments as well, because he does. He just parties all the time, and he doesn't really have an aim in life. And he's got a sister who is going off to college and making him look bad. And she's his sister's played by the oldest Apatow daughter, Maud, who we've seen in other movies. Yeah, um, yeah and she's, she's grown up. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, she's doing fine. I think she's got a definite career ahead of her. Anyway, so he then is butting heads with his mother, played Mar by Marissa Tomei, who doesn't kind of, you know, she doesn't know what he's doing, get a grip on your, your life. And then through a few weird events, which I, I won't go into, uh, his mother starts dating a fireman, played by the comedian Bill Burr. Yeah. And through one thing or another, then, Scott has to confront what he's going to do and try to get a handle on growing up and moving on. And there are some contrivances, and it does, as a lot of Judd Apatow movies seem to do, it runs a little bit, runs a little bit long. It's, yeah. it's over two hours, yeah. and you just think, if you could have sliced off about 20 minutes. Right. But I still did enjoy it because it is funny and in the middle of this of this heavy drama and it's a, got a great character arc and and good performances across the board. Marissa Tomei's character is very interesting the way she grows along with Scott because she changes a lot too as she's dealing with she's been 
alone after her husband died for so long, and now she's finally got a boyfriend. Well, that's mm-hmm. going to change things. And then she's maybe disillusioned with her boyfriend and very disillusioned with her son. So a lot of people are growing here, and it's also got a very, very improvisational feel. I read, just today, I read in an interview with Judd Apatow saying how much he admired some of the early John Cassavetes movies. Sure. And it has the same type of mm-hmm. feel. This whole ensemble is great. It feels very lived in, very natural as they're just riffing on each other. And I did enjoy it. It is on, uh, it's a Amazon Prime. It is one of the, the $20 rentals, which it was kind of like the high note. Surprised me a little bit. Right. Maybe it could have been a little bit cheaper, but uh, it's one of the $20 rentals. And I did enjoy it. When you when you describe the synopsis, you think, oh boy, that's going to be a Grim. downer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it is funny. It really is, and it's heartfelt, even though a a little bit too long, but I think it'll, as it did me, it'll uh, help put Pete Davidson in a new light, Sure, I I think, and I definitely recommend it. Next up, a movie with some similar themes to The King of Staten Island, a detective fantasy slash family drama where a love of words helps a father reconnect with the missing son. This one's called Sometimes, Always, Never. When this is done, the thing you have to remember about these buttons is sometimes, always, never. He looks Bruce. Doesn't he look Bruce? He's playing on my computer. Where else am I supposed to go? Where have you seen those words before? In a game of Scrabble. Our Michael used to play them. He's not coming back, you know. What have I got to be scared of? The only thing I'm scared of is dying before I sort this out. Now, much like we were talking about Delroy Lindo into Five Bloods, here's another case where a longtime character actor gets a chance to take the lead, and it's it's great to see. Because it's Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Who doesn't love him? I mean, it's, it's like Delroy Lindo. They have both been around since I was a child and before, and I've loved them forever. And Bill Nye, you know, and he's, that's exactly who he is in this movie, is Bill Nye. He's just... Sort of elegant, <laughs> melancholy, wry, funny as necessary, and he plays a tailor, and it, and he's just very smartly dressed. He looks great the whole time. Well, and it's great because how the the title comes in. He's instructing a kid on his the buttons of his jacket. The top one is sometimes. The middle one is always. Bottom one is never. Which actually helps me now. <laughs> I, 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 I'm telling you. <laughs> In keeping with the character and how how very smart he always looks and sort of this fashion fashionable style, uh, the whole film just looks incredible. But that doesn't sort of overpower the the underlying theme. Much like in Came Staten Island, the underlying theme is actually quite tragic, mm-hmm. very sad, and yet the film around it, which again is 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 really about family and about finding who you are and not ignoring your family and 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 the bonds that you can build regardless of grief. That's really what the story is about. And also Scrabble, weirdly <laughs> enough, um, it's a it's a charming, delightful film. It really is. And God, Bill Nye is just wonderful. Yeah, the director is Carl Hunter, and the writer Frank. Cottrell Boyce, who we may have heard of before. Yeah, he's more of the veteran, the writer. He uh, he wrote Millions, Welcome to Sarajevo, Hillary and Jackie, a lot. He's just a, a, yeah. a, a veteran British screenwriter, and he's wonderful. And in this case, he is adapting a short story that he's written. And Carl Hunter, this is his feature debut. He's done shorts. He's done some documentary work as well. But his eye for style is such a great counterpoint to the story being told here. It's just, it's a perfect marriage. That's another recommendation. Sometimes, always, never. Well, how about one for the family? How about Artemis Fowl, a young criminal prodigy hunting down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father, Artemis Fowl. 
Hello? Your family has taken something of great value from us. Return it to me or I will destroy everything you love. You weren't supposed to see this yet. Your father is in a complicated profession. For years, he has protected powerful secrets that have kept mankind safe from the dangers of another world. It's time to face your destiny. All right, save my father, save the world. How about no? <laughs> this one's pretty easy. This is on Disney Plus. Yep. So if you have Disney Plus, you've already paid for Disney Plus. <laughs> this is not going to cost you any more money. <laughs> so if the kids want to see it, my advice: turn it on and walk away because it's based on a on a series of books, uh, kids' books and fantasies. I was not familiar. I knew the title from when our son was little. Mm-hmm. He, he read them. He read. He read all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's about all I was familiar with. But it's a it's a fantastical story. It's directed by Kenneth Branagh. Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as he has succeeded in certain types of films, this this is just not the type for him. No, he's not a guy with a lot of whimsy, as you always like to bring up that's whimsy. Right. And there's no magic about this movie. Really, it's bogged down. First of all. It's told a lot through narration of Josh Gad. He's he's been captured and is a suspect in the the thievery of this one ultimate weapon. I'm not going to go into the entire plot, but so as he is telling some of the story, that gets us being told things. Mm-hmm. And then there's characters like Artemis reading out of journals, reading out of his father's journal. His father played by Colin Farrell in a in a small part. So there's a lot of telling. Yeah. And even in the showing, the CGI here might have been good for 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe more. You're mm-hmm. like, really? Everything just comes up wanting. It's 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 confusing. Maybe for the kids who have read the books and, and know them inside and out. Other than that, I don't think the, the parents are going to find much to like here. It, it doesn't look good. It doesn't hold your interest. Too much exposition. And there's just, for, for one of these fantastical stories, there's there's just no magic here at all. It doesn't stay true to the themes of the of the novels either. So I think, I mean, I think that it's aiming at kids who are too young to have read them. And does, but but if you're a fan of the series, I don't think you're going to be a fan of this film. But and it's funny what you mentioned, Brown. It reminds me of Thor. He directed the film Thor, which I always felt succeeded despite his lack of panache. It just did not seem to suit him. He directed Rabbit Proof Fence years uh-huh. ago, which was perfect. It was it was such a good movie, and he did such a great job of telling that story. And then he just did he just did the uh, Agatha Christie a few years ago that, that Murder on the Orient Express, yes, which looked fantastic, looked a heck of a lot better than this. It did looked fantastic. So. He's, you know, he's got his strengths, but this type of material, I no. just, it's, it's just not, it's not one of his strengths, and this movie really comes up lacking. But again, if you got the Disney Plus and you got the kids, <laughs> so you already paid for yeah, it. There you go. Uh, the kids might like it. I doubt the adults will. Next up is the story of two young lovers robbing their way across the Southland, posting their exploits to social media, and gaining fame and followers. As a result, infamous. The videos captured during the robberies and uploaded to social media are the work of Ariel Summers and Dean Taylor. The couple followed by millions of people on social media have been called a modern. Hi, my name is Ariel. And for as long as I can remember, I knew I was going to be famous. Need to get out of Florida. Maybe somebody will want to come with me. We're gonna need some cash. Me, 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 me. 
Pages. I created a new account. 3,000 followers. Why would you post that? Something like this could make us famous. Let's go have some fun. Well, there's been a lot of movies in the last few years, obviously, that want to teach us a thing or two about the dangers of social media. Mm-hmm. This is the latest, and if you heard the synopsis there, two young lovers on the run, spilling blood, robbing things, and a, a statement on the media, you're thinking, at least I was thinking. Natural born killers. Exactly right. I, I respect that ambition. I do. Because if you think back to 1994, when Oliver Stone put that movie out, I mean, what a vision. It didn't work for everybody. And no. maybe, I don't know how you think about how that movie has aged, but still, at the time, it was... Mass media was ripe for the skewering, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think the approach he took at the time, darkly comic, wildly satirical, with his swings of these Rodney Dangerfield in a crazy sitcom out of the blue. I mean, that sort of thing. For the time, I think it did work. And social media, as much as it has been commented on, even in the movies, is still, I think it's still ripe for that kind of treatment. Even though, let's be honest, this movie dropping when it is dropping kind of bad timing because yeah. in the last few weeks we've seen social media used for good part good amounts of social change yes. in positive ways mm-hmm. so this is suffering from bad timing that the writer director Joshua Caldwell obviously could not have known about but that's just part of the problem here uh, the story it's it's Bella Thorne as Ariel and she doesn't like it pronounced Ariel like the Disney princess so don't do it <laughs> uh, and her Young stud, hot new boy, bad boy in town, a dean. They're in Key Largo, Florida, and she just has to get out. And so they they take off, headed for a new life in Hollywood. And she wants more Instagram followers. So the more that they stream their exploits, the more famous they get. And you know where this is going. But everything just checks off boxes. I mean, I'm not even going to tell you the the final catalyst for her leaving town to get out from under the thumb of her mom and her mom's creepy boyfriend. We've seen that a million times. We've seen the sex while driving, okay? We've seen that. And the, the way that the the media fawns over them, calling them New Bonnie and Clyde, and all they get this, this, this adulation for the wrong reasons. There's nothing new. No. There's nothing new. In fact, I would think back just a few years ago, maybe more than a few now, remember that movie Nerve with Emma Roberts and, uh, and uh, Franco, Franco the Younger? Mm-hmm. Dave Franco. You know, it wasn't great, but I think he did a better job of what this movie is trying to say in a, in a fresher way. Well, I think one of the problems that this movie has is that Quentin Tarantino didn't write it. <laughs> so that that was a big yeah, help to uh, Oliver was, Stone. That was. Um, and, you know, I mean, Bella Thorne, she's, to me, not super compelling as a performer. She's a lovely, lovely girl, but in everything I've seen her in, she mainly just poses. Yeah, and but to be fair to her and to Jake Manley, who plays Dean... These characters, like you mentioned the writing, they're more cliche than characters. Yeah. They really are. So I don't think they were giving a lot to work with. I will say Amber Riley, who was in Glee, we didn't watch Glee, she uh, comes along about an hour in as the couple takes a hostage. And that's where I thought, maybe, okay, is this where he, he the writer-director, Caldwell, is trying to say something? And he starts to, but he gets bogged down. But she, this Amber Riley, she does a, pr- a pretty good job with this uh, understated Almost like a cameo role. But yeah, most of the characters just cliches like almost everything in this movie. And I thought it was just totally, totally forgettable. It is a bit stylish and colorful. He does, Caldwell does present it 
very frenetic, very urgent, like a live stream. There's lots of comments and likes darting all over the the uh, screen to try to give it that feel. So I guess he succeeds there. But as far as a story, as far as anything fresh about the the internet and the social media age, no, there's there's nothing interesting here in Infamous. Next, after his wife's suicide, Detective Jeff Anderson becomes convinced that she has been murdered. Obsessed with his investigation, he finds out that his wife was the victim of a team of father and son serial killers and sets out to stop them. It's Darkness Falls. There's no apparent motives. There's no clues. These are not even identified as murders. These guys are pros. I respect you for being smart enough to get me here. You don't think we do what we do without a contingency plan, do you? You understand what I have to do, right? I want me to pick you up. I'm his new partner. I killed your wife. You became obsessed and started living by that obsession. You and I are a lot alike. I'm gonna get my son. I died, he died. One, two, three. Now, originally, this was called Anderson Falls. It was changed to Darkness Falls, which immediately makes some people think of another movie called Darkness Falls. Actually, there are at least four other movies called Darkness Falls. But I, there are two reasons that I was interested in this movie. Number one, I was hoping that it was a remake of the horror film Darkness Falls, which is about a killer tooth fairy, which I've always been weirdly fond of. <laughs> and then number two, Gary Cole plays a heavy, indeed, he plays a serial killer. Nice. And so I was eager to see it. Not eager enough to write the review. Brandon Thomas wrote the review yeah, for us. Yeah, I'm going to need you to just go ahead and be dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brandon Thomas wrote the review for this movie at MadWolf.com. And to put it mildly, he didn't like it. He did not, because it's not good. Sean Ashmore is Detective Anderson. Just plain, flat piece of cardboard. And, and even Gary Cole... Seems almost sad that he chose to be in this film. I mean, it's so bad. It's just so flat. I'm with you, though. I love seeing Gary Cole, mm -hmm. uh, especially that time we sat next to him at a, <laughs> at a restaurant that our son was working at. We went out to visit in L.A., and uh, he was at, oh, don't, there's a celebrity sighting, don't look. He was getting his <laughs> chips and salsa. But it all, he's one of those guys you always like to see. Yeah. Because you think he's always going to just improve the proceedings mm -hmm. a little bit. But when even he can't do it. Pass. Oh, yeah. This is, this is, if you're going to pass on one this weekend, this is the film to pass on. A documentary next. When the Supreme Court legalized marriage equality, the backlash by the religious right was swift, severe, and successful. This film looks at four faith based families with LGBTQ children caught in the crosshairs of sexuality, identity, and scripture, for they know not what they do. They love to use the, the words religious liberty or religious freedom, but what they really mean? is a license to discriminate based on religion. Really, most people are not trying to be homophobic. Most Christians, English-speaking Christians, are trying to be faithful to their understanding of Scripture. Until we create a safe space for all of God's people to be who they are, love who they love, parents are going to be afraid for their kids and fear of culture plus fear of being wrong in the eyes of God is an unholy cocktail that creates an unsafe place for these young people to come out and be who they are. This is from director Daniel Carslake, who about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, made a film called For the Bible Tells Me So. 
what he does now, you know, 12, 13 years later, is he, he checks back in on the church to see how they might have evolved <laughs> in terms of LGBTQ rights. I'll tell you what, you know, June, one of the great things about June is that you can you can find so many. Every week we've talked about a new Pride-related documentary. Mm-hmm. And I think so far this month, we have at least three more to watch, actually, before the month is over. But so far this month, this is my favorite because, you know, I grew up in the church, Catholic church, and I'm familiar with scripture and I'm familiar with the actual teachings as opposed to what the far right pretends are the teachings. Right. And one of the things that I appreciate about this particular film is that it does not vilify or talk down to the parents of each of these four families. What it does is struggle along with them, see the mistakes they made, see the positive impact they may have. You know, it doesn't talk down to the very audience that most needs to see this film. It's uh, it's not preaching to a choir. It is it is conversing with a group of people who desperately need to see this film. It's a very forgiving movie in that. It forgives itself. It's asking these people. We're not saying forgive your children because your children haven't anything wrong. You watch these people forgive themselves for doing the wrong thing and for eventually figuring it out. And so in the end, it's a very hopeful, really lovely and very empowering film. Yeah. And if you would like to check this out and we encourage it, it can be found streaming through the website at the Wexner Center for the Arts, which is based here in Columbus, Ohio. And that can be found at wexarts.org. And one more. A Korean horror film you can find on Shudder. It's the story of a rookie film director who has been preparing a horror film for the past eight years, and she hears about a horror movie that could have been directed by a ghost. Maybe the scariest film ever made? We'll see. This one's called Warning, Do Not Play. The writer-director here is Kim Jin Wan, and he's obviously seen Ring Goo or The Ring (laughs) because the mystery in the early going is very similar. Mi Jung is a film director, filmmaker. She's a prodigy from the film festival circuit, and she's under the gun from a big South Korean studio. She's got a week to come up with a great idea, and then at the film, at at the local university, she hears the legend of this graduation film from years earlier that was so scary it caused death and destruction all over the place so right away you're dealing with the scariest film ever made which is really a tough thing to base your movie around because at some point you kind of have to show us the audience a little bit of this scariest movie ever made and it better have the goods you know it's sort of like we've always talked about with the from the ring that video mm-hmm. that was so uh, the killer video when we see it it better it better be creepy and it was it was creepy it was and if it wasn't that movie would have crumbled so here not mm. so much but if you can make it through the early going there's not really a lot to grab you especially if you've seen a few horror movies as we have but once it gets going and once she gets farther into this mystery, because, of course, as soon as she starts trying to dig around, she gets some ominous warnings to cease all inquiries, <laughs> which only draws her deeper into it. And then the blood starts flowing and the body count adds up and then it gets a little more fun. Nothing really new here. Nothing is reinvented. But if you hang with it, if you have shutter, um, I think you'll you'll get some fun out of it. It's not great, but it's one of the I thought one of the best new original things I've seen on Shudder in a while. So you don't want some some fun horror? You might want to check out Warning Do Not Play. But it's not the scariest film ever made, so <laughs> no worries. 
No lobby, so we'll move right to next week. Looks like another packed week. We've got Miss Juneteenth and Mr. Jones. Also, my darling Vivian, which I know you're going to be That reviewing. is about our niece Vivian, that's right? That's right. I hope so. It should be. Yeah, I don't think it is, though. No, that's about Johnny Cash's first wife. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Uh, baby Teeth, mm-hmm. Hidden Orchard. Now, Scare Package, I know we've already seen because yeah. we saw that here. Actually, I got to interview. I got to, I got to lead a little discussion with the, one of the directors mm-hmm. of that. It's Anthology Horror. Scare Package comes out. And Queen of Lupa. As well as Jack and Vaya and Runner. Holy moly. Big week. Busy, busy. And we'll see what else pops up as so many of the theaters get closer to opening. Uh, in the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of these big ones this week. Good ones to talk about this week. To Five Bloods, King of Staten Island, maybe even Artemis Fowl. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you liked Infamous. All right, let us know. Uh, you can always find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Instagram and Facebook, it's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. Love to have you check all that out at the main website, madwolf.com. Thank you, as always, for stopping by. Do us a favor, if you would, and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Always appreciate that. Until next time, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.